Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today is one of those sermons. I'll expect some repentances in our hearts, a lot of reflection. But above all, this is one of those sermons I would not recommend you listen to once because of the consecrations that come with certain messages and some of those things are beyond what your mind is able to apprehend but the ministry that God will give to your spirit man as you understand what I'm saying. These are the things that help us evolve. You see some of you would study your lives and realize that probably there's some progress in your life but there is might not be so much evolving in your life. There's no power that transforms you into the next space of your destiny. And if you continue like that, chances are that as you continue to age, the things that fit you stop fitting you. Okay? Because you've outlived their glory and grace. That's not how God has created us or made us to be. God has called us to come from one level of glory into another level of glory from one place of power into another place of power so you don't evolve it means one day you're going to wake up and you're 50 60 but you're going to be living the life of a 20 year old or a 30 year old because we don't evolve it's important for us to evolve because if you don't evolve you die you see this sermon today is one of those things that at the core of every believer will fundamentally establish you to the next phase of your life now i had promised about teaching you concerning the balanced spirit. And I've not yet preached it. I've had nuggets on it. I've thrown a few strains here and there to build my case. And soon I'll teach about it. Don't worry about that. But what I'm going to share today is very fundamental in the core uh, of what I will teach concerning a balanced spirit. This is important for you firstly to note. These things I'm going to share are important in helping you understand the bigger picture. So I felt by God that I should first begin with this and then we'll you know, transition as the Lord uh, gives me grace and permission to say certain things. There's a portion of scripture, some of you who are, you know, cognizant with the scriptures have probably read, and those are one of those things we bypass when we are reading the Bible because either they don't make sense to us or perhaps they might not be able to apply to us in the state of circumstances that we are interpreting. But that doesn't mean that those things are not important. Everything in the Bible is important. Are you following in Leviticus, the 19th chapter, the 35th verse, where the text from where we're going to get our message today, he says, you shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in mediate, in weight, or in measure. Verses 36, just balances, just weights, a just effort, and a just hint shall ye have 
He says, I'm the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Today I want to teach about the wisdom of balanced judgment. Balanced judgment. What does it mean to have a balanced judgment? Are you following me? Now, if I might go back again in this portion of scripture specifically, you will see God emphasizes at the end, the full colon, shall ye have, full colon, I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Why does he use the word land of Egypt? Because when you study ancient biblical texts, you have what you will call uh, the Babylonian scales, you have what you will call, you know, uh, Egyptian scales, you have what you call Roman scales, you have what you call Hebrew scales. When talking about scales here, we're talking about these instruments that I used to measure. Back in the day, uh, they used to have instruments by which they used to measure certain things against other things. They used to have weighing scales, okay? Of course, now we live in a time where weighing things has evolved. You just put something on a digital machine and then you place weight on it and then it gives you a sum. That's not where I'm talking from. I'm talking from the time of human civilization as it began and men went into trade and transactions. Genesis 23 verse 16, the Bible speaks of Abraham weighing the silver. You see, so how did he weigh the silver? They had weighing scales, okay? Now, those of us who went to school, majority of you actually have, that's why you understand English. At whatever level, you remember they designed for us a weighing scale. You see, you have a beam, you have a fulcrum, and then you have a hand, and then you put an object to be weighed on one side, say maybe sugar or rice or whatever, and... <laughs> Some of us who were born in the 80s or some of them which were born in the 60s and earlier, we understand this more than the newer generation. Not only because of the weights, but because of the cost of living. Huh? In the early 80s, 90s, you remember? People used to buy half a kilo of sugar. Who remembers those days? Huh? They put half kg on one side and then they, they start to... <laughs> yeah? Then if you find a thief, eh? it... By the time it goes down, they don't allow you to come up, they peak. Yeah? And then they give you. Some of us lived in a generation, even where cooking oil was sold in milliliters. Who remembers? In Luganda, we used to call it Akendo. Yeah? And I believe at one particular point, every Ugandan went through that process. Okay? So we understand those things very well. Then they used to have stones. Eh? You remember those stones? And those stones were against what? Uh-huh. So, this simple thing, God tells you in Proverbs 20, 23, that diverse weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. It's an abomination to God to have diverse weights. Now, when he says, I'm the Lord who called you out of Egypt, is because I took time to study the Egyptian scales, and they say those were some of the most manipulated scales. Egyptians used to manipulate scales a lot. Either perhaps you make the arm a few meters longer or a millimeters longer than the other side already. If the arm on one side is not balanced on the other, you're not going to have, you see, you have this object that you're going to weigh against the other stone or whatever you have to say this is a kilo, this is two kilos, this is three kilos. Are you following what I'm saying? So, that little simple story, that little simple analogy that I'm trying to give you, now God tells you 
This thing, layer upon layer, becomes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, depending on what is weighed and what weights mean. This thing that seems so simple, which God tells you he hates unjust weights and measurements, which just seems like would make sense to a man who has a shop and has something to wear. Well, one of the companies that I worked with in my primary years, I worked with a company that used to make um, bushel, maize, flour. Okay, so and I was managing it. I managed the operation, the whole chain of that operation. I understand it. I know how the machines work, the grinding machines, the hullers. I know where their spare parts are made, how they are made. I know how to tell a good machine. You know, I did that. The grades two, one and a half, one super. You know, so we used to sell that. You know, maize flour in South Sudan. And, and when we were working in that business, I remember that is where you would appreciate having just weights or balances. Because a guy would bring a sack of fresh uh, maize cob, huh? puts it there and he weighs it and you see it is 50 kilos. And then you take it on your own weighing scale and it's 45. See, where did the five go? You understand what I'm saying? They've manipulated the what? The weighing scale to read 40 something. You produce it, you make the kosher, you take off the maize brand, you produce very fine maize flour. We used to pack it in bags of 25 kilos, 50 kilos, and you know, like that. It goes up. So you go to the market to buy, a, say, a 25 kilo bag or a 50 kilo bag, and the guy weighs it for you, you see it's 25 or 50. You take it on another weighing scale, it's 20 or 45. How do they do it? They manipulate. And so those five to three kilos are the things that the person who is trading is losing. You just say, but they are buying. Why am I losing? Because every time five kilos are leaving you, and that could be the profit of that bag. We became also smart enough. I got to a level, I just get a bag like this, and I lift it, and I say, this is not 25. Let me tell you, once you're robbed for so long, you ask any banker, I banked for six years. When they give you fake money the first time, the second time, the third time, you don't need a UV lamp. We just started like this and you know this is real. Ask any banker who worked in cash. We got to a point where you just touch money and no, this is fake. I don't care how good they have made it. If it's not real money, we feel it. Because what people actually call paper is silicon. You understand? So we feel it. You get to a point because you've been robbed for so long. And that might be the difference between your salary or being in debt, you understand? So we go to a point where you just lift like this and say, mm -mm. even if a bag was half a kilo less, I'll just lift it and know this thing is half a kilo less. You get a natural weighing system <laughs> in your spirit, you know? Oh my goodness, those guys used to weigh things, okay? So if you have not lived that life, you might not understand. But then how can this then relate with your life? Simple. Because those of you who are in the legal world, judges, lawyers, you know. It's the emblem of justice. You know the sign of, of justice? It's the emblem. It's the emblem of truth and honesty. That's the mark they have. That's the sign they have. You understand? That's the sign of justice. That we want all things fair. But in that altar of justice, men have been sentenced to prison innocently. On that very table of justice, families have been disconnected 
and have become dysfunctional because somebody made a decision on the altar of justice that destroyed the destiny of a person. When you read, for example, the story of the United States, I was reading a book some time ago. Huh? It's entitled The New Jim Crow. The New Jim Crow Laws or something. The New Jim Crow Laws. It's written by a lady called Mitchell or something. And in there, they tell you the incarcerations eh? of black uh, African-American men and, and you know that. How then now racism has evolved in present day. But you see, some facts are shocking. For example, I have learned that United States alone, I think even in our part of the world it's worse, but in the United States they tell you out of every 10 people they sentence um, uh -huh, by hanging, death by hanging, I think that's the word, out of every nine, one of them is innocent. See? So, it means that by the same law, I don't know who or how systems are manipulated, but one person out of the nine people you hang is innocent. You cannot understand it unless it's your father or your mother or your son or your daughter. But it's on the same altar of justice. Or perhaps there are mistakes that are made by our people or there's some people which were found in the wrong place and you know, it's beyond everybody's judgment, but the law then will take its course. Or perhaps there's even people who know the truth but are manipulating the truth to sacrifice one to save another. But on the very platforms where justice is expected, you'll find things happening the other way around. Are you following what I'm saying? This little thing called just wait now is determining the destiny of a man. It's determining the destiny of an institution. It's determining the destiny of an innocent life. The Bible tells us that the poor have no justice. This is the Bible telling you that if you don't have a certain amount of money, you might not be able to pay for justice. This is scripture. You see? Some of you even in present day know how much you need to pay if you go to a police station to get justice. You're not going to bribe, no, but they want you to pay a certain amount of money to get justice. Oh yeah, they are thieves, but we don't have fuel. So if you don't have that fuel, they are not going to get the culprits. You see what I'm saying? That is why there's something so righteous about seeking justice for the poor and the oppressed. In Psalms 82 verses 3, defend the poor and the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and the needy. There's something so redeemingly blessing when you learn to fight for those who have no power to fight for themselves. There's something so righteous about that because God is with them. Are you following what I'm saying? God is what? He's with them. But from there, then you're going to judge your government. You're going to judge the systems at play. You're going to judge your institutions. You're going to judge your school. You're going to judge your next neighbor. But I want this to leave everybody being judged to the place of your heart for you to examine yourself on the level of your heart. This is called, because now this is where God will give you the grace to see the carnality by which sometimes you weigh things in your favor, by which sometimes you weigh things to your advantage, by which sometimes you rig scales. You tip the balances for your own good. You have your own individual biases and only own personal preferences that many times are not agreeable with what is true and that all of us are guilty. 
And it begins with those little small things that look so innocent. For example, you take a, a study and research why in the early 2000s, Arsenal got more supporters in Africa than anywhere in the world. Footballers. So you ask, why do you support Arsenal? When did you start supporting Arsenal? And he's going to go back to that point when it had Kolo Toure, Blackman, Henry, Blackman, Saul Campbell, Blackman, Patrick Vieira, you understand? Eh? So there's how they get connected. So why do you support Arsenal? Ah, no, they just play good football. No. <laughs> when you see them play, you see your real brother playing. That's the hard truth. Examine yourself when you're watching a boxing match. Do you support a black man <laughs> or white man? You understand? But you're born again. You see? Yeah, but those good things come in. They're there. Recently in World Cup, You'd ask people, what are you supporting? The guy says, France. Ah, you see, you even said it before I said, why were you supporting France? Why were you supporting France? Because when you see France, it awakens some things. So we were with a boy in the circle, somewhere we were discussing, you know, towards the end of the finals. We just had a conversation, humble conversation, innocent conversation. And then there was this guy, he kept interrupting us. He says, I just find him saying, Papa, do you know there are only two real Frenchmen on that team? They are. Yes. Then he mentions their name. <laughs> eh? And then when they subbed off one, he said, now it has remained one. Eh? I said, we are watching football. <laughs> but <laughs> you're examining how many black men have been put on and how many white men are there. Uh, you see? And you see, Say no to racism. Say no to racism. What do you mean, say no to racism? In your heart, there's like a thing in there that has not been. And it might be okay, but one time maybe you might make a decision based on that bias. You might judge things based on that bias and not know. That's okay for the world to think that way. That's Egypt. Okay, you came out of Egypt. When you come to the church of Jesus Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither Muchiga nor Dutch, neither Irish nor Muganda. Are you following what I'm saying? No, no, no. We don't have that. We're not supposed to have that. But you see, it can begin in those little small things that let us start to damage your spirit. And you see, it's come so far that you might never understand that this is one of the core elements that frustrate the anointing of God on your life. Because you cannot see the correlation. You cannot see how that connects with this one. But those things are honestly connected together. You just don't know. And then as a young man, and God was teaching me his way, he told me one thing. He says, if there are things he mentioned, I can mention them, you know, off my fingertips. And he warned me on these things and says, these things will frustrate the anointing operating on your life. And it's so easy to frustrate the grace of God on your life. When Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace, it is because you can frustrate grace. You can frustrate grace. Yes, we are in the age of grace, but you can frustrate it. And when you frustrate the grace of God operating on your life, it means you're frustrating your world. 
You're conflicting your world. You're corrupting your pattern and destiny because you're corrupting what God has given to you for your good. Are you following what I'm saying? I play basketball three times a week. So sometimes we're with the boys playing and we are probably two or three points down and you are eager because we have an aggressive team. These boys, when they're two, three points down, you'll see all madness. And so your man gets this ball and because he wants to make a fast break, he steps in the line within, which is wrong. Some of you don't know basketball, that if you're serving, you know, you have to step out of the court and then serve, okay? So this person steps in the line and throws the ball because he needs to make a fast break for the other fellow to make a, a drive or something and then score so we can redeem some of those points. And then your man steps in and you know that that's not right. And then you're conflicted between getting that extra point to win the game or crying foul against your teammates. And so I'm that guy, sometimes I say, oh, umpire, my guy stepped on the line. And then you look at these boys on your team like, can't you just let the thing go? You see, now, I'm trying to tell them that that little thing that I will let go, that little wrong that I will let go, frustrates what qualifies me to father them. Do you understand what I'm saying? It frustrates what qualifies me to be their pastor. Because if I do that, then I'm telling God I'm not ready to handle this responsibility. Because as they always say, with great power comes responsibility. Somebody say amen. That little thing of, I saw the foul, but the umpire didn't say it, but it was for my advantage. But I have to say no. That ball should go that way because I would rather lose that game but win with truth. That is what qualifies you for the next level of consecration before God because much as I'm talking about the game here, but that game, that basketball game is a reflection of who we are when we are under pressure. I tell men, if you want to test a person, test them when they are under pressure, not when they are under all convenience. And the danger of having so much power and credence that sometimes your damage, the damage you could cause by being unjust or tipping the scale is very expensive and costly, more destructive than the man without the same power. I'll give you an example, maybe of things that you might understand. If a man is 67 years old and then they got a 22-year-old and they were telling a lie and they said, I saw this boy stealing the money and they go before court, court will most certainly agree with a 67-year-old man because the power of age, the credence of age, you know, they say that the hoary head, the gray-haired head person is of great glory. It's a crown of glory, okay? But the Bible says, many people miss that line, if it be found in the way of righteousness, if it ages in righteousness, so not every old person. If it ages in righteousness. You see? So if they have not aged with righteousness, that gray hair is useless. But a guy at 67, you'd expect he cannot tell a lie. In fact, he would say to the judge, at my age, 
can I lie on a person who is my son? But I have seen boys who are all telling lies. I have seen men who are seven telling lies. Do I have a witness? Who will believe this 20-year-old? I mean, the man is old. Can he lie? No. Now, to be at that level, it's like one time I met a prophet who was a liar also. No, no, it's a true story. This guy is accurate. He can prophesy, he sees in the spirit, but sometimes he can lie. And I said to myself, does this man know the danger of being so accurate in God and telling a lie? Because you see, when you say God told me and he hasn't told you, do you know how destructive that can be? Because he was accurate. He told you probably your name or your age. <gasps> this guy hears God. You understand? And then in there he puts something or says something that God has not said. How will you doubt? How will you doubt? God just tells you, God has told me, sell your house and give it to me. Oh, and give all the money, all the proceeds to me. He has added. He has added. He has added. Do you know how much destruction that comes with? Look at men, for example. Look at the generation of men. There was in India. And we were appalled at the percentages of how many rape cases turn out to be false. But if a woman says that this man attempted to rape me, how? What are the chances that you can be exonerated? If two people went to the police and a man says, my wife beats me. You see, you're already laughing. You see? Yet, there's another person, a woman just goes to the police, eh? She doesn't even need to say anything. She just, do they beat you? They've already concluded. You understand? Eh? If people were in a relationship and, for example, one person decided to to walk out or create drama. And drama in marriages and relationships, my pastor, I see them every day. Because you see, I was reading the other day and there are 44, 44 types of mental illnesses in the world. 44 that can be diagnosed. 44 I had mental health people. 44. In Uganda, how many do we know? Eh? Maybe, you know, bipolar, eh? schizophrenia, depression. You know, those are the things you have. Eh? But did you know that there are people in the world who suffer from a mental case where they have a very overwhelming fear of death? That every time they're somewhere, they think they're going to die. And it's a mental issue. And in Europe, psychologically, they can treat it and they give you medicine, and you stop thinking that you're going to die. Did you know? There's something, it has a term, the fear of death. Eh? Now, I'll give you another. Look at people who are on the autistic spectrum. There's a condition called Asperger's, okay? For example, those people are functional. And Asperger's people are actually very smart. Elon Musk says he has Asperger's. And it has its things, it has its traits. Eh? For example, well, they vary, but some, in some instances, are more than others. For example, you can find somebody who can go in a shop and buy the same shirt, like seven of them. So she said, but does this guy change shirts? 
Or she goes in a shop and buys the same kind of dress. And you're like, but how do you get in a shop? God gave you the power of options. And you just find that you want this shirt, huh? Get me 20. Hmm? Of course, you might judge somebody who probably is poor, and that's all they have. They're just repeating the same clothes. So that's another thing. I'm talking about those who even have the ability to change. You, you just can't. So what is that brain that tells this person? Okay, uh -huh. I'll give you another example. There are people they call borderline. Hmm? There are normal people. They can't knock you. They can't stone you. They can't fight. They're okay. But they are very, very emotionally unbalanced. Like this person can love you and you're like, eh, I've never been this loved. And then tomorrow turn, you just do one thing like this. And the next day they want you dead. So you're like, how does love shift to death? You're laughing, but some of you, you're even in trouble. Somebody's looking for you. Then they disconnect. They don't talk to you for like a year. Then they come back. Alex, man, eh? I miss you. Eh? What's up? How have you been? And you're like, I thought the last time you say it, you're not, no, 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 no. Uh, let's let go. They come with gifts and, you know, flowers and everything. And then you make peace. And then another time they cut wires for you. So it becomes so draining that you no longer know how to relate with them. Huh? That's why such people don't have friends. Be careful when somebody says, ah, me, I don't have friends. Common denominator, you don't have friends. You. How can you just be in the world and you don't have friends? Such people don't have old friends, in fact, except relatives, family, because family, you're stuck. Chikulide. If they're like that, that's who they are. Such people can only be delivered through the gospel. Only through the gospel. Because it's the thing that teaches you unconditional love. It's the thing that teaches you forgiveness even when you don't want to let go. And this is real. It happens. So imagine somebody's in a functional relationship, but somebody has something up there. There's a catenant. I have been in counseling sessions where somebody can come and say, you see this woman here? One time she came and stole all my money. And the woman looks at the man like, then you start thinking, who of the two is not telling the truth? Because one of them has a problem. Now, sometimes you find the man was lying. And you're like, how could he even concoct such a lie? Or sometimes you find the woman really stole the money. Then you're like, how could she act? so innocent. You know the people who have innocent faces? Eh? She's like, hmm. Then you say, speak. Then she says, I have feared men today. <laughs> Peter, Peter, look at me in the eyes and tell me before the pastor. Did I take that money? The guy says, yes. And she's like, this marriage is not going to work. <laughs> Apostle Chris, it's not going to work. Because how do you live with somebody who is telling a lie? <gasps> ah, it's hard. I'm still thinking, who? Lord Jesus, reveal to me who. 
And then you hear the Holy Spirit telling you, she stole the money. <laughs> How do you deconstruct that kind of brain and try to construct it right? You guys heard of the Me Too movement, right? That happened recently in America and everywhere. And yes, justice is sought for those abused people and I agree, I sympathize. But then there are things that we never understood because this person sexually abuses you. Then you work with them for 20 years. Then in the 25th year, you report them. For 20 years, the person who abused you, you have been working with in the 25th year. Now you want to frame them. I'm thinking, but what about those 20 years? So what was that that you substituted in weight? Not to speak the truth, but now you have matured to speak the truth. Are you following what I'm saying? So those of us who are mature also start seeing through. We start asking ourselves harder questions. Oh, but that's a hard thing for you to touch, Pastor. Don't even touch it. Why shouldn't I touch it? If you get a man and a woman says, this man raped me, how many would believe the woman? Almost everyone. Am I right? By the fact that you women, God has given you so much power. Are you following what I'm saying? That if you found a woman and even if two people have challenges in relationships, usually the men are the wrong ones. And the way God has designed men, men keep quiet. We don't know how to, eh? So you find this person, they give you all this story, and then you go to the guy and he's quiet as a log. Not because he's built, but we don't know how to speak sometimes. Sometimes we don't know how to speak because some things can overwhelm. And when we overwhelm, we switch off. Boop. It's like some switch goes off and then we wait for judgment. You understand what I'm saying? But also, equally, there are men who lie and can lie on a woman. This woman did this and you go examine and the man was lying. You see what I'm saying? When you go back to the core of this individual, there is something so unbalanced in their heart. Now, that one, it's not delivered on a prayer mountain. It's not in the realm of prayer. It is wisdoms as this that help us. Am I helping somebody? It's wisdoms as this. Because you don't want to frustrate the grace of God operating on your life. Many of us, we even have become so indifferent that we are blind from the judgment, the true judgment of life. The Bible speaks in Hosea 12, verse 7. It speaks of the merchant who carries the balances of deceit in his hand and he loves to oppress. And Ephraim says, I am become rich. I have found me out substance. In all my labors, they shall find none iniquity in me that was sin. In other words, if you search me, there is nothing I've done wrong and I've become rich. But when you wear the man, actually, there is unjust balances or deceit in the balances of his hands because they are hidden even from him. Or perhaps it has become so a part of our lives that we no longer know how to be true. Now, you forget that whenever you judge something wrong, you're actually also judged against a higher weight. That's why the Bible warns us to be careful not to judge because with the very degree you judge, you're going to be judged. Am I right? You be very careful when you judge because every time you're judging a matter, something is judging you. You remember the man to whom God writes on the wall? 
you have been weighed in the balances and thou art found wanting. Daniel 5.27. You've been weighed in the balances and you're found wanting. Like you are weighing others, there is a pattern in the spirit that weighs you also. And that pattern will position you exactly where you truly belong. The Bible says, I, the Lord, try the heart and test the range to give to every man according to his way. Jeremiah 17 verses 10. You might not know that, but there is a pattern that judges your work when you frustrate the grace of God on your life. It's something that judges your work when you frustrate grace. Are you following what I'm saying? So you just see yourself stagnant. You see some things not moving in your life. But you've been weighed against certain things. And you're found wanting. Or perhaps God has examined your heart and he says, no, you're not ready to lead these many a people because you cannot even judge these few. So if you're not faithful in the little, how will you be faithful in the more? Even in the grace we teach, be not deceived, for a man shall reap what he soweth. Yes, we're grace preachers, but we need to understand what it means to frustrate grace. Because it's not a license for you to be, you know, complacent with life and become irresponsible because you are under grace. Paul is telling you, you reap whatsoever you sow. And in there, I can actually tell you the mystery of increase because I preached about an endless increase, but I've not preached really the deeper mystery of increase. How do we increase in life? How do we grow in life? How do you shift from a million to a billion, from a billion to a million dollars? How do you walk that journey? Some of them it's longer, for some of them it's shorter. Why is it that some people are stuck in many areas of life? Because they have not yet understood the simple principle of seed and harvest. Because no seed can multiply before it dies. Right? says when a seed, before it dies, it abideth alone. When it falls to the ground and dies, the Bible says it bringeth forth much fruit. You don't plant one cob of maize and then when it sprouts out, it only produces one cob of maize. No, it will produce many. One seed of a mango tree, if it grows right, unless something has frustrated the cycle, unless some sort of element in your ignorance or deliberate rebellion has frustrated the pattern. Usually, if you plant right, there'll always be increase. Paul says, I have planted and Apollos watered and God gave the increase. Every true planting, and if I was to teach and I will teach about it, I want to help us understand that process of planting right, being planted right how you sow your seed right. I'm not talking about money. Because of you, every time you talk about seed, you think about money. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the realms of the word. Because Luke 8:11, the parable is that the seed is the word of God. How you deal with the word defines how you're going to multiply in life or not multiply. So how do you sit in a church and your next neighbor is increasing and you're not? Your next neighbor is prospering and you're not? Your next neighbor is progressing and you're not. Same world, same provisions, same seasons, same climate. Or perhaps you even carry more qualifications in life than they are, but they're running faster than you. And many a time is we have not understood that simple mystery of how the planting takes place. You see, even in the good soil, you realize there was a 30-fold, there was a 60-fold, there was a 100-fold both planted in the right, right, in the ground. But one received a 30-fold of increase, another received a 60-fold of increase, 
another received a hundredfold of increase. Why? Yet we're all doing the same things. We're all applying ourselves to the same, you know, crafts. We're all investing ourselves. We have the same, or perhaps some people even have more networks than others. Oh yeah, I think I have friends. Yeah, you can have all these friends and carry nothing. You can meet kings, you can meet princes in this world and come back empty-handed. And another man can stand before greatness for 10 seconds and all his desires are given. I've seen it in life. I've seen it in life. When you meet kings, huh? when you meet kings, I'm talking about kings, whether you're meeting them from the world of kings. I'm t- when I talk about kings, I'm not just talking about lineage and monarch. I'm talking about the seed of greatness that can make others. You see? There are people in this world who can make you. There is a man in this world right now walking the surface of this earth and he has everything you need to write history. He's somewhere in the world and he has that power and potential. And it might not even be as beneficial to him as it is beneficial to you. He might have what he might never need. Okay? And one time I also want to share with some of us why some of you, there is this thing that kills either the relationship, the potency, the grace, the network, the connection of what should elevate you and take you to the next phase of life. Why is it that the person who should advantage you is the same person who should hear bad about you? And unfortunately, even believe it, you must know how to tame your world and deliberately align yourself to places that inoculate you from such madness, that immunize you from the things that might come to oppose you. Somebody got a very nice promotion. They were discussed on the table. And then somebody comes in at night. The Bible says, while men are asleep, what does the enemy do? They sow their seed. Huh? Sow their seed. Are you following? And the enemy came in at night, the Bible says, and sowed tears among the wheat and went his way. Again, we're talking about the sowing principle. You see, somebody comes and puts another seed in there. So at night, this guy is over dinner and the wrong person meets that person. And tells, ah, oh, you know, uh, I'm giving... Uh, Rogers, this job. And so I said, Rogers? Oh my goodness, you've not heard? No. And the fool first looks around to see whether they're angels, of course. And then he says, ah, Rogers. I don't even know whether I should tell you this. I, I reverse psychology now kicks in. Um, you know, I hate talking about men, but um, if I were you, Rogers, no. No, no, no. Why? The guy did this and that and that. Probably could be wrong. Or probably it was true, but you were converted. Huh? I didn't know. And they trust this person. Oh my goodness. When you get into ministry, you see things. One time we found ourselves in a state house, you know, working with certain people. And then somebody comes and falsely accuses people who I know are innocent but they had more credence with a higher power where they reported. Even I was taken in that. And my reputation was tainted because I sided with the right people. I've seen it. The world can be so wicked. And I'm thinking, but this person should hear God, but they don't. Because if they did, they would know the truth. But they damage a destiny, an institution, a people, and hundreds and thousands of people's lives are going to be affected because somebody's heart is not balanced, right? Because some of the decisions you make can destroy many. And perhaps this Roger person you were speaking about is on the 
cusp of death. He's lacking food. These kids are not going to school. His marriage is breaking because he has no income. And then over tea, in what even will not affect you if Rogers is given that job? You choose to destroy that man's destiny. And then after that, you come to church. Holy Spirit. What do you mean by Zokotoko? What do you mean by Zokotoko? You are blessed to be a blessing. I tell people, even when you don't agree, never stand in the way of another man's destiny. Look away. Let another man do it, not you. Let another man spoil that relationship, not you. I'll look away. I'll pray for Rogers if he has a weakness, but I'm not going to stand where God is promoting him because I might be frustrating God's work. Are you following what I'm saying? You ladies, you, you get married to a guy and this guy probably had kids before and then somehow he says, you know, I don't want to raise my children from another house and then you have these stepkids in the same house. Then you go to the shop and then you enter a boutique and the first picture that comes to your head is your son wearing a certain shirt and a trouser. And then you buy it. And then you go to the next boutique. And then the first, second picture that comes to you is your son wearing that clothes. Okay? You have stepkids in the house. And you go home. Oh, my son. Try this one. This stepkid is watching. And God is watching. Oh, you're smart. Yay. You look at a woman who has stepkids. And they come with the stepkids, and you can tell who the step is, not by how they look, but even how they are dressed. You can tell that this is an extra tire. She was not part of her plan. This is not my kid. It's not my kid. Let their mother buy it for them. It's not my kid. It's not my kid. Listen, woman. Why did God allow that child in your life? Because he looked at you as a guardian was going to fulfill what probably their mother might never be able to do. That's how life is designed. You ask children who have grown up from those families, who were tormented, ostracized, isolated as stepchildren. When they grow up, I've grown old enough to know. When they grow up, something happens, and usually those kids make it better than the children born in that marriage. Have you noticed that they are usually advantaged? Do you know how God does that? He has weighed your heart. There are women whose kids are on drugs and I want sometimes to sit her down and tell her, there's a way you treated somebody else's kid. I don't know whether you see something there, but men who are spiritual, we see. I know a woman who used to call every kid a muyai. Eh? The British call them yobs. Like every other person's child was a yob. Don't bring that muyai in my home. You understand? And then tomorrow you wake up and the kids are the ones on drugs. The kids are the ones robbing. Oh. Now they're exactly what you're calling other people's children. God weighed. And those weights whether you believe it or not, spiritually, they are still weighing men. Take my word or not. But the reality of life, if you're an examiner of life, because some of you, you cannot compare spiritual things with spiritual things. You cannot reconcile the realities of the spirit and the experiences that they bring, the consequences. But we have seen it all the time. That 
stone which was rejected usually becomes the chief cornerstone. Some of you men had children. You had a child outside. You denied, that's not my child. The one you call legitimate is the one you had in marriage because you're covering shame. Do you know what you're doing to these ones? By rejecting the other one? Some of you don't see life that way. But it happens that way. At your workplace, try to be as true as you can. Don't allow your spirit to be offended into biases and personal preferences that don't align themselves with truth. Because then you disqualify yourself as a leader. Or you're telling God you're not ready to lead that organization. All powers are ordained by God. Some of you, you're stuck in one place. Not because you don't have the skill and potential to do the next office above you. But if you're weighed in the scales, you're not yet balanced to handle the responsibilities of the silent instructions that come with that office. Because all you see is that job description. And that's not where God is. God is not in the job descriptions. He says, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle of the strong, neither bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding or favor to men of skill. He says, time and chance happens to them all. The opportunity and the experiences of the Spirit allow them to grow and qualify them. Some of you, in fact, you get disturbed why certain people appoint other people. How would they appoint such a person when this person was there? It's injustice. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes these men or women see things that you don't see. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, you're praying. Lord, I want to settle down in marriage. Ah, if we examine your heart, you're not ready. That's the truth. If we wait, you can't handle. That's the truth. By age, you're ready. But there are other aspects that require you to be a husband or a wife. And you might not match with those things if you are weighed against Some principles, whether under grace or law, are fundamental and they are the same. God cannot give you more than you are able to handle because you are under grace. Management is key. When he placed man in the garden, he told him, manage it. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's always that innate ability, God-given, ordained insight that people might not see, but when you examine them by God, it's there. Eventually you find it and say, ah, this is why God chose this person. No man is ordained by mistake. There might be a mistake to you, but no man is elevated by mistake. No person is where they are by mistake. There is always a wind that blows them up there. And you will get frustrated when you weigh yourself against all the qualifications and feel that you are qualified, but yet you cannot get into those spaces. Chances are, maybe you're not weighing yourself or allowing the Spirit of God to weigh you through the lenses of truth through the lenses of truth. You're seeing things from a carnal perspective. Like Ephraim, he sees no iniquity with him. But when you examine, some people are not ready. That's the truth. You're not ready. You're not ready. Preparation with God is key. Whether you want it or not, you're not going to reinvent the wheel and start a process and think that 
by a unique mark, God is going to bend the laws and principles that govern that world. Are you following what I'm saying? That's why you can't get a six-year-old to marry because they are, they are speaking wisely. Hmm? Do you give over your six-year-old daughter and say, oh, this girl is speaking so much wisely. I think she's ready to get married. Is that how it works? It doesn't. Even if she's the most well-behaved person, there are aspects in marriage that she has not matured in and those need to come with age. Like you can't do that also, there are certain things you don't expect to work spiritually because you say you pray. Even grace would not provide for because it is married to truth. Grace and truth. Those walk simultaneous. The law is given by Moses, but grace and truth come with Jesus. Are you following what I'm saying? So, this is a someone you take time to listen as God consecrates. You can replay it later and just allow something to work in you. Because this is not coming. This someone is not coming to judge you. No. This someone is coming to help you. You know, you'll have to be willing to take even the hard stuff. Because maybe the questions you had are in this kind of thing. God, help me. That's why Paul appeals to all of us to examine ourselves. He always tells us, examine yourselves. Prove your own selves. Take time and reflect. Don't tell now that guy, this guy, the other guy. No, you put a light on you. Even me right now, there are things I'm, ow. You understand? Ow. I know that, you know, because when the word comes, it cuts you as it cuts me. But we have to examine ourselves against this. There's nothing as dangerous. And one day, I am planning to teach something. Um, the Lord gave me a very powerful revelation of, Ministers, how we are weighed. How we are weighed. And either qualified or found wanting. Praise the Lord. Every crown I ever wore, I lay it down. Every praise I ever met. I give it all to you For there's nothing in this world That can compare Give you all You and me To those who call upon your name You have a give and never love And you remain the same For you open up your hands And satisfy
Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, we have sat through this time. Going through some sort of consecration in the crucifying of our flesh and the circumcision of our hearts. And none in this room can say that we have not erred in judgment. All we can ask, dear children, help us. We repent in our minds and spirit. We change our minds from the things we've been thinking. And that you help us to be true. There's only one truth and that is yours. We don't have our own. There's only that which you've designed by God and it cuts us and aligns us and makes us better. Somebody tonight has been redeemed. Somebody tonight has been delivered. I feel a burden has been lifted off somebody. There's somebody that has been stuck in a very, 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 very long web of frustration. Your contracts, your business, your work life, your marriage. But as this word has come out tonight, God is delivering you tonight. Somebody's heart was repenting right now. And I felt God pour some anointing on that individual saying, I'm still with you and I'm still going to use you. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. He says, I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. Receive it in the name of Jesus Christ. Receive it in the name of Jesus Christ. Receive it in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're sick in your body, I speak healing. Anybody that has been traveling, I, I see high blood pressure. God is healing you. I see diabetes heal. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I see somebody with a disease in the intestines. God is healing you now. In the mighty name of Jesus. As somebody, you have a skin disease. God is healing you. Let's clap for Jesus. Come on! Hallelujah. Now, let me do one more thing. If you're there and you say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Just repeat this from your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice at the cross that you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that you are Lord and Savior in my life. Change me, transform me, heal me, deliver me. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.